Welcome to Ask Art, a podcast brought to you by me, Senator Art Haywood, where we will cover politics, policy, social justice issues, and everything in between. Hey, everybody, this is Art. Thank you so much for joining on our Ask Art series. We have a tremendous guest on tonight, Dr. Denise Pearson. She is the Vice Chancellor of the State Higher Education System. That includes schools like East Strasburg, Shippensburg, Cutstown, uh, Edinburgh, 14 schools. And fortunately, she has uh, been heavily engaged in trying to make sure that our young people have a good experience in college at the university levels so they can have a productive life thereafter. But before I introduce Dr. Pearson for our conversation today, I do have just a few updates on the district. First, we all know this is Black History Month. And I hope that each of you are finding something to do to recognize Black history this month. There are many activities listed at uh, the Philadelphia Tribune and the Enquirer and in many community newspapers. I am thinking about going down to the National Constitution Center later this month to see a presentation on the 14th Amendment and Frederick Douglass, one of my favorite Americans. But I hope you find something that you will enjoy this month as well. Finally, uh, it looks like the vaccination rates have kind of stabilized. Uh, we know that uh, we still got a long way to go to get everybody their third booster shot. And we're doing really good on the first two shots. Over 75% of Pennsylvanians had the first two shots. But we got some distance to go on the third shot. You may also have seen that the infection rate is going down, and that's good. At the same time, the death rate is going up. This normally happens, and that's usually the pattern. After the infections go down, the death rate follows. But hopefully, we're getting out of the pandemic closer to a normal life. You may not have heard, and I know that we in the United States are having a hard time dealing with the level of death. 900,000 Americans, at least, at least 900,000 Americans have died from COVID-19. The real number may be a million. Here in the United States, we have more deaths than any other nation on the planet. This is a real tragedy. And we still can do something about it if folks are willing to do what's necessary, including getting vaccinated. Having said that though, we got some more positive note on what's happening in our state system. And let me just say that back in October, a couple of years ago, I was contacted, reached out to a number of students who were complaining about treatment at the state schools. After a year of conversation and advocacy, the state system and the university presidents agreed to adopt some changes which I believe can have a promising impact for our students. I want you to know I'm not crazy. I know that it's gonna take more than one or two years to deal with the many decades of discrimination, but I believe we have made a turn in the road and are on a new path. Now we gotta solidify it and like everything else, is still contested. We gotta to continue to fight for it. But 
I'd like to hear now from Dr. Pearson. Thank you so much, Dr. Pearson, for joining me. And uh, if you could just start off and let people know a little bit more about you and your position, and then some of the highlights of what you are doing and hope to accomplish in the near term. Absolutely. So um, thank you, um, Senator Haywood, for inviting me to this conversation. I know we don't have a lot of time, so I'll just spend just a second to tell you about myself. I've been here in this role as the Chief Diversity Officer for the System since August of 2020. And my primary role is really just to work with campus leadership to make sure that we have policies and procedures in place to ensure that every student, faculty, and staff that engages with us, they engage in ways um, where they can thrive, where they're supported, where they feel as though um, they belong. And that's what it means to create a diverse, equitable, and an inclusive public system of higher education. We have done a lot, and I would be remiss if I didn't pause, Senator Haywood, and thank you for your immediate pressure, your immediate support. Um, I am very comfortable in saying we would not be where we are had it not been for, um, in large part, your support. So I just want to thank you and your colleagues again for that. You know, some of the things that we have done, um, first of all, one of the first things I did when I came to PASHI was to assemble a representative um, board of advisors, faculty, students, staff, and we meet on a quarterly basis. When I first came on board, we were meeting on a monthly basis so that we could determine what some strategic priorities were that we could all agree on as a system. And we came up with five faculty, staff, and student diversity, equitable student outcomes, curriculum diversity, inclusive, inclusive campus environments, as well as enabling infrastructures. And we have done a lot of, I think we've made considerable progress in all of those areas. To give you an example of what I see as progress aligned with our priority to um, uh, create inclusive campus environments, we recently administered our first ever system-wide campus climate survey. It went out to more than 70,000 students, um, about 10,000 faculty and staff, well, staff and faculty together. And, and, and that includes the office of the chancellor. And, um, you know, depending on, you know, what the response rate is, I'm anticipating that we're going to get rich feedback that will guide us going forward to tell us what we're doing really well and what we're doing not so well and where we need to adjust. That uh, survey opened up on January 31st and it will close on March 4th. And we expect to get the results from a third party vendor. And we chose a third party vendor to ensure anonymity. We will get our reports back sometime um, mid to late April. So, you know, we're really excited about that. I'm super excited about that because I think it's really going to um, additionally guide me, you know, towards reaching our goals. Another thing um, that we did um, that I think was quite a success to build awareness, because a lot of the work that comes out of diversity, equity, and inclusion, it's awareness building and it's, it's education. So a couple of things, you know, if you go on to the DEI website, you will see that we are developing resource pages. We are developing glossaries of 
a glossary of commonly used terms, just so that when we talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion, we're all starting from the same point. Another thing that we did um, last year, we held a system-wide diversity, equity, and inclusion summit, and we had more than a thousand people register for that summit. It was a three-day summit, and we the records indicate that of those 1,000 who registered, about 550 of them attended a workshop. That's still very impressive. Um, we had presentations from national scholars inside, outside of academia. We had students present, we had faculty present. And again, it's building that awareness at the same time, highlighting those great things that were already happening across the system before I came on board and have been a signal to areas that we can build upon. So that's, you know, that's another thing. Um, the DEI training students, as I went around talking to faculty, students, staff, and Senator Haywood, it became very clear very early on that we needed some basic training in diversity, equity, and inclusion for um, our faculty, staff, and students. So last April, we launched um, system-wide training in diversity, equity, and inclusion, and it is required. This um, May, we will have our first system-wide report on um, not just participation, but um, feedback, you know, in terms of the value of the survey. We may stick with the survey that um, we administered the first time. We may choose another survey, but again, this is very new and it's, it's um, it's formative, it's iterative. We wanna make sure that we're not just doing things, we're doing things um, and measuring its impact. And if it's not making the impact that we want it to have, then we will shift. Um, the last thing I'll say, and then Senator Hayward, I'll stop and see if you have any questions for me so that I'm not just going all over the place. Early on in uh, my conversations with students in particular, they would say, you know, um, we would like to see, we would feel more um, affirmed um, and dignified if our curriculum were more diverse. And that's a beautiful thing. A, you know, that they opened up and they shared um, so wisely as they should. But the other side of it that's equally beautiful is in conversations with faculty council and other members of the faculty body, there is an appetite, there's a willingness, there's a recognition amongst our faculty that if we want to be mission driven and provide our students with a quality education, it needs to be diverse in its content, it needs to be diverse in its course offerings, its program offerings, et cetera. So I will stop there, Senator Haywood, and see if um, if you have any questions or if there are any areas you'd like me to say more about. Uh, thanks so much, and particularly for your leadership. I just put up in the background the enough agenda that we had uh, that drove the uh, allies and the student leaders to, uh, uh, to the advocacy that we had. And I certainly wanna thank all of the uh, organizations who are allies with us uh, to encourage and uh, uh, yeah, I guess I could say encourage. We might have done a little bit more than encourage, but to uh, get the state system to, to adopt these, some of these changes. So I did want to talk about uh, one of the big concerns that students raised, and that was about harassing speech. And I know we spent uh, several months uh, this summer 
with the attorney general's office and lawyers and students and administrators. Uh, what can you say has been the result of all of that effort uh, to try to look at how we deal with a lot of protection for hate speech under the US Constitution, but then a lot of pain from hurt speech protected by the US Constitution. I know there were some changes that were uh, adopted. Tell us more about that, please. Absolutely. As a result of conversations that we had around on that topic, you know, um, harassment and, and bias and, and discrimination and, and, and free speech, we decided to, with the support and guidance from your office, Senator Hayward, to be quite frank, we established a working group to better understand um, the First Amendment and Title VI of the Civil Rights Act and we so that we can improve campus climates. And it's a long title, but it really speaks to what it was we needed to do. There was agreement, and I think there's still agreement that um, not everyone understands the, um, the scope and the limitations of either one of those pieces of legislation. So with the help of your office, you know, we brought in subject matter experts in the First Amendment in civil rights, we um, brought in folks from the um, Pennsylvania Human Rights Commission, and they did presentations to improve our understanding of those two pieces, uh, important pieces of legislation, particularly um, as it impacts our work on campuses and, um, and it, it guides our policies and our procedures. So what came out of that after, my goodness, I think we, met about six or seven times. We had presentations and then we'd break off after the subject matter experts left and we had conversations about, you know, what did that mean for us? Then we came up, uh, we came and we drafted a report of recommendations that um, draft report was um, received positively by the um, executive leadership group, which is all 14 presidents and the chancellor. And now it is in the hands of the Council of Presidents and they are meeting. And I just talked with um, President Ken Long from East Stroudsburg University. And he, and this was just at the recent board meeting. He said that I will have um, something uh, that I can talk in more detail about um, shortly. But right now it is in the hands of the Council of Presidents and they are talking about what will it mean to implement those recommendations that were made in the report. The report is not public yet, but I did share it with Senator Haywood. Well, I did share it with you um, because you were, you know, part of the, um, you were part of the overall initiative. So that's where we are with that. But related to that, Senator Haywood, um, you know, we've had these community response teams that have existed across the system for some time. They go by you know, various names, but the, the purpose of these groups are, you know, to have a systematic way to respond to student incidents, reported incidents of bias and discrimination. And um, one of the first things I observed shortly after I came on board was, you know, we understand that our campuses are unique and rightfully so, and they, they are going to you know, to expectedly do things differently. Um, but we saw that there was an opportunity to maybe bring more systemness to the way 
Um, these types of incidents are, they are reported, the system for reporting it, um, the system for responding to it, and a system for um, reporting out, you know, after, you know, a, a certain period of time, whether we're talking about annually, quarterly, or whatever. So um, as a result of that, and a larger system-wide organizational audit that's underway, we are auditing, including in this first round of audits, we are auditing the community response teams across the system. And that's being done by an outside objective third party. And that is going, actually, we've already had the, um, the planning meetings. We have a scope of work that we've decided on and the consultants will be coming to the chief diversity officers today at our monthly meeting, you know, just to make sure that everybody is on the same page about what an audit is and what it isn't and what we're trying to get out of the progress, out of, out of the process. Does that make sense? It does. I do have a follow-up question. Are you able to share one or two of the recommendations that the presidents have adopted to address the uh, harassment? I can talk about one, um, and that is there was um, consensus that we need to strongly consider approaching this work with greater systemness as opposed to um, doing things 14 mm -hmm. different ways. We also, I can say this fairly safely, um, we see an opportunity to educate students and the, all of our different stakeholder groups about what is protected speech and what isn't protected speech. So um, a, a short answer that, to that is, you know, to continue to educate our students, our faculty, and our staff. So th those are two I, I feel pretty comfortable um, with sharing without any backlash. Thank you. So we've talked about uh, uh, reporting, so have better reporting, system-wise uh, approach to reporting incidents and, and the follow-up on it. And we've talked about the mandatory uh, diversity training. That's, that's, that's all good. Tell us more about how curriculum, what you're doing on curriculum, because uh, we have heard that will help students feel like they have a place at the university, a greater sense of belonging. How do you see changing uh, curriculum so it's more inclusive? What's what's happening there? Yeah, so um, as you know, those um, the meat of those conversations happen on campuses and in the individual, you know, academic departments um, and the, the 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 larger university. What I can tell you, um, I have been told, and I believe it, that there is a commitment to making curriculum diversity a priority. And I think given uh, where we are um, with regard to um, integrations, there's a, a great opportunity to make sure whatever the final um, program array looks like, you know, across the, the, the six integrating universities that will, you know, be two at the end of the day, there's a real opportunity um, to look at how to diversify the curriculum. But it goes beyond just the integrating universities faculty understand now, like they understood before, that a curriculum can or cannot affirm our students' humanity. And they are committed to it. And they have had examples. And this is where 
Um, the office of the chancellor, I believe, has been supportive and instrumental in that, you know, in providing opportunities to talk about seeing things differently. And I'll give you a perfect example. You know, um, during the um, summit, you know, faculty came and they presented on ways to think differently about the curriculum. We had a physics faculty member who said, you can diversify a physics course. And likewise, you can diversify a math course. You have to be intentional. And in her particular case, what she did, she brought in, and I can't remember the frequency, but if she was talking about a, you know, a particular um, topic in physics, she would bring in physicists of color, of you know, um, from different, you know, backgrounds as examples, you know, as um, as uh, intellectual thought leaders in the field so that students could see themselves in physics. You know, it, they could see if you're a Latino person and, and in this particular case, the faculty member's name was Sharon Montgomery. She was able to show her students, you know, you have Latino and African-Americans who have contributed to the field. So a kid coming to Pashi thinking, oh, I don't know black folks who, you know, engage in physics. She gave a real life example of, yeah, there are physicists, you know, who come from, um, you know, communities of color that you can aspire to be like. So um, where we are right now, um, this is, um, you know, the, just the beginning of the uh, spring semester. I would be less than honest, um, Senator Haywood, if I said to you that this is um, at the top of the list of what faculty are talking about because of integrations, but it is certainly um, central to all conversations that I've been involved in. And how I'm helping folks is, again, going back to, you know, being my office, being a catalyst and a convener, that is one of the areas um, that we are focusing on with regard to providing resources um, to faculty. I had the all of the directors from the, you know, each campus has a center for teaching and learning or some type of faculty development center. And we have started conversations about coming together, building systems to see what we can do, how I can support them, how we can work together to move that work forward. It's a priority for all of us, um, but I, I think you know as, as well as I know, um, you know, there are six universities that are in the process of, of integrating and, um, and, and that's a huge priority, just to be quite frank with you. Understood, understood. Certainly don't wanna leave the uh, black and brown kids behind as we do the integration. And as you say, it could be a big opportunity to yes. use the integration as a way to change the curriculum in a way that can affect the students across the, the campuses. And I can certainly attest to seeing people in the curriculum who look like you really can give a young person a much better sense of hope and believing and can sometimes even change their identity of who they think they can become. I have a couple more questions because we're coming down to the last few minutes. Um, I have one question on hiring. So the students indicated to us they want to see more uh, people of color on faculty and staff. Um, we had a town hall scheduled with uh, Jamie Martin, president of the faculty union. We're trying to get that rescheduled. 
and is certainly concerned that as this integration uh, last hired, it's going to be first fired. And that's often black and brown people. So what uh, do you see the, the state system doing to uh, retain and uh, recruit uh, faculty and staff of color? Yeah, that's a um, great question. And thank you. What I am seeing now um, that I did not see when I first came on board center um, was a sense of urgency on behalf of the presidents, you know, to go beyond um, concluding that the answers to faculty diversity lie exclusively in the collective bargaining agreement. Now, the collect there is a role for and a significant role um, for um, the, the um, CBA the collective bargaining agreement when it comes to you know faculty hires. We know that, but presidents also have a significant role, and um, there are other ways that we are beginning to talk about because we understand the importance of a diverse faculty. Um, we can get the students in the door if they get in the door and they don't feel included, if they don't see themselves represented, our efforts um, could be wasted. I'm, I'm trying to be very careful what I say. Uh, but I think what we're seeing now is that there is a real desire, a determination on behalf of certainly the Office of the Chancellor, uh, the Council of Presidents, and even faculty themselves um, to create policies and practices and even having standards and procedures around hiring. Now, one piece of low hanging fruit um, that we are beginning to talk about now that does not have CBA implications. It's really something you know, that can be launched out of, of, the, of my office in collaboration with campus leadership. And that is, you know, how do you do training to ensure that you are casting a wide enough net to get a diverse pool of applicants, you know, um, how do you conduct the interview in a way that says to the candidate, we really do want you here, you know, because there are best practices, you know, um, how do you negotiate a contract for a uh, newly minted, you know, PhD so that when they come on board in a tenure uh, track position, they have the support that they need, um, you know, to keep them on, you know, that tenure track and, and ultimately, you know, uh, uh, achieve tenure. And then how do we make sure that we don't burn them out, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and I, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll probably leave it there. But that's one of the things that we can certainly do. The presidents are, have certainly affirmed um, their commitment to looking at this seriously. The faculty have done so. And I am, uh, I am positioned and will be moving forward shortly um, with working with campus leadership to provide um, search committee training. Thank you so much. Yeah, all that sounds like it's completely necessary. We're running out of time. I really appreciate the responses that you have provided, but I would like to conclude with your observations on the role of two critical leaders in this process, Brandon Teal and Zuri Redmond, both students who were student leaders through this uh, advocacy process. Often uh, students don't realize their importance in making change, 
don't see that they have the power. Anything you would like to share with people who are watching who can get a better appreciation of the value of student advocacy as exemplified by Brandon and Zuri. Absolutely. Um, so I'm going to just speak to Brandon real quickly, and then I'll talk more generally. You know, I was introduced to Brandon um, very early on after I came on board. And, you know, it was clear to me and Zuri, but I've worked a little bit more closely, you know, with Brandon. It was really clear to me that we would be foolish as a system and me as an Office of Diversity, Equity and Inclusion if I didn't leverage a, his passion, his knowledge, and his um, determination, you know, to be an effective advocate. And even after he graduated, I don't know if you know this or not, Senator Hayward, I reached back out to Brandon when we had the diversity summit last year, and he introduced our keynote speaker, you know, so I want as much student input and participation as possible. It makes a difference. We have a policy review committee that's looking at all policies across the system. Um, and there is a student on that committee from Cheney University that helped develop the template for it and will help, will be part of the deliberation process as we look at all of our policies through a DEI lens. So as far as I'm concerned, and I think my, um, my work speaks for itself. I don't do anything without having a student voice. And I look for students to reach out to me if there are areas where we're not getting it right. So here's a DEI at pashi.edu. If there are things you think we need to know from a student perspective or from an alumni perspective or just a community leader perspective, or just a community member, reach out to me. I do not, Pashi does not have all of the answers, but we have all of the will that I think we need to move this needle. Um, and we're just, we will never turn away. I will never turn away an opportunity to talk with folks that wanna roll up their sleeves, get their hands dirty and do the work because there is a lot of work um, to be done. The stakes are high. We know what we have to do, Senator Haywood. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Pearson. We're at the end of our time. Uh, thank you for all of your work, your continued advocacy, your willingness to be open to folks throughout the community to, to get input and recommendations. Uh, that's really helpful because often people think the system is closed, uh, but you're opening it up and thank you so much. Thank you so much for spending a half an hour with us. Have a great week. Thank you so much. Take care. Thanks for joining this episode of Ask Art, and please stay tuned for our next episode. As always, you can find everything at SenatorHaywood.com. Thank you.